0: that's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Hey, this is uh, 28. Did I get that right? Seventh. Oh, oh my math is horrible. Oh, oh my right. gosh. Every day, Saturday, Don't be Sunday. at me, Jerry. <laughs> 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 That's why I taught reading for 40 years. I can read the math problems. I just can't do them. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Okay, the twenty seventh. Oh my lord! That how embarrassing! Those are second grade. Those oh, whoa! I'm telling you, it's just mm. retirement. That's what it is. Is that what it is? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. We are going through the begats. We're chapter ten and eleven. We're just kind of between the two. Um, we talked about the lines of Japheth and. And a little bit about all of that, but it's it it all tangles up anyway. Everything just runs together. So the the just know that you come from the line of Japheth. Just know that, and that um the, in Shem's line you need to go through his son Arphaxad. That's the line that's going to take us to Jesus. Okay. Um, everybody else's line is. They affect what happens to Shem's line through our faxod. And and we're still dealing with it all, the mess. But um, um, just know to keep your eyes on Shem's line through our faxod. That's Jesus' line. But we have to talk about others because they affect everything. Now when we pick up here, you you have to know, this is almost a hundred years of history. um, And lots of people have been born since then. Slews and slews and slews of people. But to this point, everybody who came from Noah speaks the same language. They all speak the same language. And they have all decided to reside coming out of Turkey or that area where the, where the ark um, landed. And they've spread south, but they have gravitated toward the river valleys um, from the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, but all the way over then to the Mediterranean Sea. It's the whole Middle East. But they pretty much filled it up, okay? That's where we are. They pretty much filled it up. But at this point, everybody speaks the same language. And, um... So we come upon one of Ham's descendants. Now, this is one of Cush's kids. Cush became Ethiopia. Okay? Um very dark-skinned people, but also um, uh, a lot of northern Africa, too, and down the eastern coast of Africa. Now, those are Cush's kids. But through Cush came this grandson, or this this grandson of, of Noah. His name was Nimrod. and uh, And in Nimrod's lifetime, the world was divided now there are places where it speaks to this division and i've heard teachings where it says well there was obviously a great earthquake in the world and all of the continents split apart there and you know there is that theory that if you take all the continents and kind of push them together they fit like a jigsaw puzzle into one piece of land which You know, I don't doubt, but who knows? Um, But when it talks about dividing the land, they're really not talking about a physical land. They're talking about nations and tribes. And um, this division um, happened because of Nimrod. So we're gonna look at Nimrod, and then we're just gonna read this whole um, family tree. And then we're going to um, go right to the divisions of the earth. So start with um, verse 6, the sons of Ham. We've already talked about them, so we're just going to read through this real quick. And the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabdakah. And the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be mighty, a mighty one in the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Now that sounds like he was a real good guy. But you have to look at the translations here. First of all, the word mighty... The word mighty is Gabor, but it means a powerful warrior, a giant, a tyrant, a strong man. Okay? It it doesn't mean somebody that just, you know, was a bodybuilder or anything like that. He was a tyrant, and he was powerful, a powerful warrior, and a giant. And then it says he was a hunter before the Lord. The word hunter there, while it does mean to chase or catch, it's a military term. Sayyid. And it means taking the art used on beasts to hunt but then using them on men who are to be ruled but are not willing. So in other words, a conqueror. So it's not like he's a hunter, like tracking down animals. He was a conqueror of men. Historians say that Persian kings used to uh, make their soldiers fit for war by training them to hunt animals. They used to practice on beasts, but that's the way they trained them to to be warriors. And that's why you know they use stealth. And he's part of the Assyrians. The Assyrians came from Nimrod, and the Assyrians were the very first terrorists. They learned what it was to sneak up on people and blow something apart or, you know, do something terrible to terrify them. And they learned that from this word, um, Syed, okay, which doesn't mean to be like hunting animals. It means to be conquering men. So he was a man conqueror, a warrior, a tyrant, someone who dominated people. And then the phrase, before the Lord, In the Hebrew, that means like in the face of. So, regardless of what what he was doing, the word panim, it means to set your face with anger or to set your face against. So, we would say, in in modern terms, we would say, in your face, God. I'm going to make myself like God. I'm going to conquer people. And Nimrod was actually the first man... To build an empire ruled by men and not by God. That's big. That's huge. And he was totally bad to the bone. And his kingdom ran north and south in that big valley between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, which is now Iraq and Iran and that whole area in there. Isn't it interesting how... That personality in Nimrod has has remained right there in that area for thousands of years. That that trait, and and it's demonic in its origin, and it's it is this. Um, let's just go back and read it. Leave your finger in Genesis, but go to um, Isaiah fourteen. We've read this so many times, but it it's worth repeating. This is it. You know, we we have a spiritual battle going on here, and you can you can um, picture which which demonic personality is controlling a situation by what goes on there. Um, Jezebel was one, and that spirit is still raging. It's a bullying spirit. It's an intimidator, and you can look at. What's going on in um, even in our own government in pockets? You can see that spirit of Jezebel in the government where it's bullying and intimidating and dominating. And um, I mean, we always think about Jezebels just being, you know, a uh, sexually immoral woman but that really wasn't it. She was her own God and she wanted to bully and intimidate everybody into believing what she believed up to murdering millions of uh, not millions, hundreds of the prophets of God to shut them up and um, <clears throat> so but you see that spirit you know raising its head in a lot of places too. When you read through the Bible God will give you the hint on you know the spirit of Jezebel the spirit of this and the spirit of that but Jezebel is a spirit of rebellion and witchcraft. And that's scriptural. But, um, you know, you just have to pay attention when you're reading to what's going on. And God will give you a hint. But then you take the personality of what's going on right there where that spirit is active. And you can see it. You can identify it still at work. So this is the spirit of Antichrist. But it is also the spirit of Satan himself, who is Antichrist against Christ. Okay. And this was his heart. This was his attitude. All right. In Isaiah 14, look at verse 12. How you were fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you're cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations. So he is a demonic spirit that weakens the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Yet you will be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. But you see that sin in him, that pride. Well, look at what goes on. How many... Evil dictators there are around this world who have said, "I will ascend," you know, "I will be like the Most High God." I will be. Look at, at um, I mean, it was there all through history. Nebuchadnezzar was there, and and um, then you come along and you got Saddam Hussein in modern day. He was so captured, captivated by um, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, that he was rebuilding Babylon. And, uh, he was going to be the the second Nebuchadnezzar, a conqueror. I will be like the most high God. I will be the one worshipped. I will be the one. And, um, you can see that over and over and over. Um. And it has left the Middle East in disarray, complete disarray. Because that spirit has been dominant. That spirit of Antichrist has been dominant in that region. But that's where he raised his head in the earth, was right there at the Garden of Eden. And how did he do it? He said, oh, Adam, if you eat of this tree, you know, you and Eve, you'll be like God when they already were. So it's the same spirit, that same prideful spirit. And um, here it shows up in Nimrod, and he wants to be the dominant one. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to build my empire. I will be like the most high. And then he says, and not only that, but I'm going to build a temple. I'm going to build this huge um, tower into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above, you know, the clouds, above the sky. Right. That was Nimrod. Okay. Alright, back to Genesis. We're coming back to him in a minute. Hold that thought. We're just going to read real quick through the rest of this stuff. And um, then go to chapter 11. Okay. Start in verse 10. Now chapter 10, verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And a and a cod, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher. Now, can you believe that? Asher is one of Shem's kids, and Asher built Nineveh, the city Rehoboth and Calah. So Asher went over and joined himself with um, Nimrod. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. The 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 mixing of the families is unbelievable. And resin between Nineveh and Calna, and the same is a great city. And Mizraim, that's another child of, of uh, Ham's, he's Egypt. That's basically what he is. Mizraim begat Ludim and Anam and Lahabim and him. And Pathrusim and Calusim, out of whom came Philistim. Okay, that becomes the Philistines. And Kaphtorim. Now, Mizraim lived in Egypt, up through the Sinai Peninsula, and then right on around to Gaza. And the Philistines mixed with the Canaanites, who lived in like the southern part of Judah, uh, south of um, the Dead Sea, all in that area. But they all mixed. And Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, in Heth. And the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Gergesite, and the Hevite, the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvadite, and the Zamorite, and the Hamathite. And afterwards, where the families of Canaan spread abroad. Now, all those ites are mentioned in uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And God says, Wipe them out, because if you don't, they will be thorns in your eyes and your sides forever. Well, guess what? They didn't wipe them out, and guess what? What Today, they're still there, still doing their thing.
0: It's interesting. All these are just the names of the sons, but then on that in, in verse uh, 15 16, he ch- changes from Canaan's couple sons, and then all the Jebula uh,
1: he went to... The ites. In other words, all the children of Zeb, uh, uh, you know, yeah. all the, the children of Amor, Ammon, all the okay, children okay. of Gerges. Yeah. Gergai. So when you say ite, it means all the kids that belong to that guy and all the kids that belong yeah. to. But he didn't say Sidonites. He just, it's, he right. started, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's just trying to show you how Canaan's kids. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. Mm-hmm, yeah. Became the ites. Okay, and the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as you go to Gerar Sidon is um, south of the Gaza south of Gaza um, and uh, Gerar is um, Gerar is about 65 miles southeast of uh, Jerusalem so you know you're talking about this whole area down there bordering up on Gaza um, and then under Sodom and Gomorrah, which is south of the Dead Sea, okay, and Admah and Zeboam, even under Lasha. And all that goes southeast of the Dead Sea, okay. That was where they spread, the Canaanites. <clears throat> Okay, and these are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Abar, Abar was his grandson. And Abar becomes the word Hebrew. Okay, Abar's kids were Hebrews. That's where it came from. Abraham was a Hebrew, but he was not a Jew. <laughs> Okay, the Jews didn't come into existence. We didn't call them Jews until, uh, really, uh, until Judah. People from Judah became Yehudah, You know, the Germans called them Yehudans, But the Jewish people were from, um, came from Judah, the line of Judah. But Judah was a long way from Abraham, <laughs> you know. Judah was like Abraham's great-grandson, great great-grandson. He was he was one of Isaac's kids. He was great grandson of, of Abraham. So Abraham was Hebrew, but he wasn't Jewish. Okay? He wasn't of Judah's line. So that's that's important to know actually. Okay. The father of the children of Aber. Okay. So all Aber's descendants, which included Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, you know. Um and on um, and then through Judah and at it, Judah, those became eventually the Judeans, okay and then shortened to Jews. but um, see, yeah see when that when the children of Israel, this history gets so crazy when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they took the land Judah was the southern part of of Israel and people that lived in Judah became the Jews okay but they were also Hebrew yes yes they were yeah but only the only the line of Judah became Jews and everybody else now? remained Hebrews yeah the twelve sons of um, of um, Jacob of his twelve sons, Judah was, was the line of the, of the sons, Jews, right? Okay. And that's the line of Jesus. But the Jewish people today are all they're it's, not just Judeans, no. right? It, that that happened. That actually happened, uh, uh, like in World War One, you know, when they began to call all the people from that area Yehudan Jews, you know, but they weren't all Jewish. We we try to think of the Jewish faith, you know, in terms of the faith, but but all Hebrew people are not Judean, right? They're not all Jewish. They're all Hebrew, which is is really confusing. But that's the way it is.
0: They're all Jewish but they're not all Hebrew.
1: They're all Hebrew but okay. they're not all Jews. Okay. Right. They're not all of the descendants of of Judah. You know, My, and That's in opposite. some way they are because they're of the 12 sons of the 12 tribes. So I guess you could say oh, yes okay. they are, right. But there are also some that um some that are just Hebrews, okay. <laughs> it's Jesus. it's a mess. Jeez. Yeah, well, we haven't got there yet, but Doesn't we will, we'll be there before too long. Right. Oh my! I know it really makes you appreciate the simplicity of your own family tree, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. Now, verse twenty-two. The children of Shem, Elam and Asher, are Faxod, Lud and Aram. Okay, our Faksod is where we want to go because our Faksod is Abar's dad. Okay, our Faksod is Abar's dad. And the children of Aram, Uz and Hull and Gether and Mash, and Arphaxad begot Selah, and Selah begat Abar. And unto Abar were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided. Peleg means split or separated. And that's the next chapter, chapter 11. Okay, we'll talk about it in a minute. And Joktan begat Almadan and Shelah. And Hazmaveth and Jera. Oh my God, these names. Can you imagine trying to correct these kids?
0: <laughs>
1: and Hadaram and Uzal and Dikla and Ablaal and Abal and Abimael and Sheba and Ophir and Havilah and Jobab. All these were the sons of Jotan. God bless them. <laughs> and their dwelling was from Misha as you go unto Sephar, a mount of the east. And these are the sons of Shem after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. And these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations, in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Now, the nations divided right here in the next chapter. Up to this point now, up until the birth of Peleg, everybody spoke the same language. And they were still of the tribe of of Noah. The only tribe. Right. And Noah actually lived long enough to see a lot of this. And um, he was the patriarch. That means you know he was the high priest, the go-between uh, for God and his family because that's the way it was looked at in the day. And um, so they all spoke the same language. Now they spread because there were so many of them, but they all spoke the same language. Now, this is where Nimrod comes into play. And this is right after Peleg's birth that this all happened. It was about a hundred years after the after they got off the boat. Okay. Um I'm just sure I've got all this. Okay. Some things happen here that are real important. you got to look at these first couple of verses. And then I'm going to kind of change your, um, maybe I'm going to change your paradigm a little bit here because it, it changed mine. Okay, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Now, that means all of the families from, uh, from the Mediterranean Sea all the way over to the valley of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers right there at the northern part of the Persian Gulf. All the families that lived in that area spoke one language. Everybody. Not everybody lived under Nimrod's conquering, okay? Not everyone lived in Nimrod's empire. Only a handful. But the whole earth spoke the same language and that's important. Um, so now look at the next verse, because this is a spiritual truth that you have to that you have to get. Um, verse two, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. It's believed that that plain was right there at the mouth of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in that area. They have found ruins of what they believe to be the Tower of Babel. It's really interesting if you look at the pictures of it. Um, the Bible is history. It's an old book, but boy is it just full of neat stuff. Um, back in the 1920s and the 1930s when archaeologists were all over the Middle East digging up ruins before uh, World War II started, they were just finding all kinds of things, and they believe they found the Tower Bible. It was huge at the base. I've forgotten the dimensions, but just this massive building at the base. But and in, in, it went, it narrowed as it was built going up. It just got narrower and narrower. And there was a pathway that was built into it so that you would walk up, you know, like a spiral around the outside of the building. It was a circular building. And you would walk up so that, you know, the base was big enough to support a huge tower. I mean, I I don't know how, I can't remember the number of feet, but it was, uh, you know, I mean, it would have been all right in New York City. People wouldn't have blinked. But it was, you know, I mean, it was going to be a big tower. A huge tower. Um, and uh, so I, I thought it was kind of interesting that the pathway that they built, not steps, but like a ramp that circled it and went up. You know, it was just like a smooth ramp that went up, not, a, not stairs that went up in, on the inside. It was on the outside of the tower. But, but historians tell us that this group of people had begun to get into witchcraft and had begun to look at the stars, not um, uh, in the form of astronomy, which all people looked at. You know, God would put signs and wonders in the heavens that you could study the movement of the stars, know where you're going, direction, all that. That's astronomy. But they were using astrology to foretell the future, to, you know, read, um, you know, into a supernatural cultic kind of a, Uh, uh, thing where they were seeking anybody but God's wisdom. Okay. So he came down. God came down because they were starting to do some things that were not good. Look at verse 3. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. They believed that the slime was literally uh, coming out of the north end of the Persian Gulf and it was bitumen, um, a tar-like substance that they would get out of the northern part of the Persian Gulf, that bitumen. So they had pitch for glue to hold the stones together. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children and men builded. it. And the Lord said, pay attention to this. Behold, the people are one. That means they're united. They have one language and this they do. Now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. That is a spiritual truth that started in Genesis chapter 2. When God created man on the face of the earth, he made him a speaking spirit. He breathed into his nostrils and like the Hebrew people said, men became a speaking spirit. They look like God but they also function the way God functioned. And God imagined plan designed in his brain. In that first Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. That word means planned, designed, thought about, laid out. Everything done in his imagination, in the center of his imagination. And when it was completed and he was full of faith, he spoke. And then using his own material that he's made of, light, he created. But things materialized when he spoke. And people have not changed. We are full of the power to imagine, to create in our minds and then speak and then act. And the power of agreement is a part of that. Um, So all the people spoke the same language. This group of people were saying the very same thing. They were repeating it over and over. So you have the spoken word. You have the power of agreement. And they repeated it over and over and over. And they said, and they said, and they said. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word, what? Of God or the world. It doesn't matter which word you hear. The more you hear it, the more it ingrains a vision in your mind. That's what's wrong with these kids today. They've been taught that the world's going to be over in a couple of years because we have destroyed the planet. They are so fearful, so riddled with it, that they think that having a new president is going to finish the planet off and they're not even going to live long enough to see it. They're terrified. And why? Because they've been in an environment where everybody spoke the same language, everybody said the same thing, until the vision became real to them. Whether it's real or not. The vision became real to them. And as soon as the vision becomes real, you act. That's what James said. Faith without works is dead. Faith without corresponding action is dead. Whatever you believe to be true, you're going to act like it's true. That's just the way it is. Whether it's true or not, you're going to act like it is. Actually, did you guys see Stephen Hawking's or see the... The uh, pronouncement Stephen Hawking's made here not too long ago. Okay, he's an avowed atheist, you know, but brilliant mind. And I I like to read his work, Physicist. He is so brilliant, but he is totally atheistic. Only most of everything he's found (laughs) backs up what Scripture says, which I absolutely love. He he would gag if he knew it. But he was... um, commenting on these kids that said the world is going to end, you know, the whole world is going to be destroyed by global warming in a couple of years. Stephen Hawking said, this earth is going to be around for a thousand more years before anything changes, okay? Well, guess what? Jesus is going to come here soon. And when he comes after the war around the Middle East and finishing up at Armageddon, he's going to rule for how long? One thousand years. And at the end of that time, God is going to roll everything up, remake it, and put us right back on that earth. So Stephen Hawking is exactly right. About a thousand more years. And then God's going to refix everything. And if he knew that he was so scripturally correct, he would be gagging. But um, the kids aren't hearing that. They're hearing that we're destroying this planet. And that they're not going to even be able to have kids. They're just Their whole lives are over. And that's happened because all through school they've heard the same language, the same declarations over and over and over until in their imaginations that's the truth. And here they are terrified and acting it out because that's what they've come to believe is true. You know, that's just the way it is. That spiritual law works every time. That's why Jesus kept saying, faith comes by hearing. Paul said it. And hearing by the word of God. The word of God runs counter to what the world says. You know, you have to believe what God says in the face of what the world is telling you. And they run counter to each other. That's why I say it's really hard to stand on the word of God because the world is going to run counter to everything that God says. But um, I thought that was so funny with Stephen Hawking. That just kind of made my month hearing him say that. But the kids aren't hearing that. So here we are and and this is at the beginning of everything and God says they say the same thing they imagine the same thing, they're acting on the same thing and then he says this when that happens nothing that they imagine to do will be impossible to them. Earlier in scripture he told Noah Right after he got off the boat, he said, Even though the whole world is continually imagining evil, um, this is back in Genesis 8, verse 21, The Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, but neither will I again smite anymore everything as I have done. So he knows that every man's imagination is going to be evil. We're all going to use our imagination to create evil in the world because we're a fallen being. So when he saw that they all spoke the same language, they all said the same thing, they were all in agreement. He said, this just cannot stand. So what did he do? He confounded the languages. He didn't just confound the languages in Babel. He confounded the languages of the whole known world. People way over on the um, on the Mediterranean Sea all of a sudden couldn't speak to each other. That's why Japheth and his tribe started moving north. Everybody began to scatter. You know, Ham's family went into Africa um, and down into Canaan and that area where they were living. Japheth's family pushed north because they couldn't speak to each other and they separated by tongue. The groups that could speak the same language went together. And they separated from everybody else. But because God saw the power of agreement and speaking the same thing, he had to stop it. And um, it was restored. The same language was restored in Acts chapter 4 when... um, when the Holy Spirit returned but now the power of the spoken word is in the hands of the Holy Spirit. It's called tongues. When people are playing it may sound like a different language to each person but we're all praying the same thing, speaking the same word, trusting the same Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can make it come to pass what he wants because we're all in unison. But, but what God did was short circuit our own speech, our own understanding and our own imaginations so that his imagination, his speaking, his understanding would be in place for the church. That's a purpose for tongues because that spiritual truth is so powerful. It just couldn't trust it to human beings. And um, so the Holy Spirit got involved there. Okay, we're going to stop there and then we'll come back to the confounding. But isn't it strange that, I mean, I always just thought Babel. But actually God said the whole world speaks the same language. And he addressed the whole known world, not just Babel. And that's why everybody spread and that's why it talks about during... Peleg's lifetime the whole world was confounded and began to spread and scatter all over the place because of the languages that's what split everybody up. If you want to destroy a nation the fastest way to do it is to confound the languages. That'll do it. Alexander the Great um, conquered you know from Europe all the way over to China. And he held that empire together for hundreds of years because he demanded one thing. People could keep their own religions, their own cultures, but every human being had to learn to speak the same language. Every human being had to learn to speak Greek so they could do business across the empire. And so for hundreds of years, people began to speak Greek. And so that became the the language of business. Um, And it remained the language of business even up to and after Jesus was crucified. And that's why... Um, the disciples could write in Greek and the entire world could understand scripture isn't that amazing but that's why the time was right because Alexander the Great knew you could hold a nation together as long as the language was the same was unified one speech one speech everybody understood each other it's pretty powerful stuff isn't it